as I get into the word, let, let me just, before we read the scripture, uh, say a few words. Some of you know of a guy named Iron Man. Amen? Some of y'all know Captain America and Hulk and the Black Panther. Amen? Some of y'all know Thor and Wolverine and Wonder Woman. Uh, all of these characters in these made up in this made up world uh, that captivate audiences both in comic books and they captivate us in the movies. The movies that go out under these franchises, and I know I made a mix some franchises, but they're blockbuster movies. They break box office records because people want to see. These superheroes do what only superheroes can, can do. But I wonder sometimes why it is that these superheroes capture our imagination so much. First of all, you know they're not real, right? I hope I'm not bursting anybody's bubble here. You know they're not real. Number one, you know they're doing stuff that nobody can really do, right? And then thirdly, like they're wearing costumes that if you wore that to work or to school, you get fired or kicked out of school, right? I mean, they're wearing these crazy outfits, but yet we're totally captivated by them, by science fiction in general. And I'm wondering why is that? And part of it, I think, is that there's a deep longing inside of every human being that as we live life in this world, there has to be more. There's got to be more to it than what I see. There's got to be more to it than what I experience. There's got to be more to this because if this is all there is, that's not good news for me. Um, we're disappointed. We struggle. And there's got to be something greater. And our hope is for a champion. Our hope is for someone that is powerful in the midst of life that can help us get over and actually win. Amen? Who wants to win? I, I want to win. So I hope you want to win. That's a good thing. And, and here's the thing. Christianity often points us to something greater, to someone greater. But to many people, it just feels like it's as much fantasy as Iron Man or Wolverine is. It's something that is Christianity points us back to Jesus. And, and as we look back in the annals of history to great leaders like Moses or Elijah, and we see these great miracles and great deeds, but where are they now? And we speak of this great hope that one day Christ is coming again. He's going to split open the sky. He's going to do this great work one day. But it's been 2,000 years, and what about today? So people struggle in this meantime with what does it all really mean? Where is this power? Where is this superhero? And so many folks are wondering about a type of Christianity that really doesn't seem to have any power or impact in this world. It seems like a lot of preaching on the Bible even, can take all the supernatural power out of it. But I want to tell you today that that is not true. The Bible is all about the ongoing
unveiling reality of the supernatural reality of God at work in this world at all times, at all places in his creation. God is at work among supernatural beings, some for good, some for evil, that are also at work. But many times, as evangelical Christians in the West especially, we just miss it. And we think that the Bible's all about doctrine and it's all about doing, but there's no real power in it. We live in a world where God brings us into the reality of a world where there are supernatural beings all around. Beings, and we're going to look at Psalm 82 in a minute, that are often called gods with a small g in the scripture. They're all around us. One author says it this way. He says, what I've heard in church over the years doesn't just miss the boat but it makes the supernatural boring. This is Michael Heiser who wrote a book called Supernatural. And he says, and even worse, the the church's teaching emasculates the unseen supernatural world, rendering it powerless. Well, the real world that you are living in, that you woke up into today and you'll wake up into tomorrow, is saturated with spirit beings. Many of them want to destroy you. They're working on that. Some are working for your good. But here's the reality. If you are unaware of the reality of the supernatural all around you, then you are easy pickings for the devil's work. Your life is in danger. So today we're starting a sermon series. I'm calling it Winning in spiritual warfare. So let's stand together as we read God's word today. We're going to be looking at Psalm 82. We'll be all over the Bible today, but the first scripture we're going to look at together is Psalm 82. So you know what we do. Let's stand and let's read God's word together. Psalm 82. God presides in the great assembly. He renders judgment among the gods. How long will you defend the unjust and show partiality to the wicked? Defend the weak and the fatherless. Uphold the cause of the poor and the oppressed. Rescue the weak and the needy. Deliver them from the hand of the wicked. The gods know nothing. They understand nothing. They walk about in darkness. All the foundations of the earth are shaken. I said, you are gods. You are all sons of the Most High. But you will die like mere mortals. You will fall like every other ruler. Rise up, O God. Judge the earth. For all the nations are your inheritance. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you that you are the ruler of all and that nothing and no one has ever been able to or will ever be able to stop your good hand. And we thank you that you revealed yourself to us finally and fully in your son who has loved us from eternity past and will love us to eternity future. We thank you that our future in Jesus Christ is secure 
And so now, Lord God, we set our attention on you in the coming moments and we pray that you will speak to our hearts what we need to hear, what we need to learn, Lord God, that we might serve you more fully, more wholly, and that your name might be glorified in and through us. We pray this, Lord, in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, amen. Amen. Today, I'm speaking, we're starting the series, Winning in Spiritual Warfare. And the first sermon in the series today is Understanding the Battlefield. Understanding the Battlefield. We don't understand the battlefield that we're on if if we get surprised time after time at how the enemy comes, where he comes from. Oh, I didn't know about him there. Then we're going to be in trouble over and over and again. So the main idea today is really, really simple. It's just this. You are surrounded at all times by invisible spiritual forces that you must understand. Turn to someone else and say, you must understand. You must understand. In other words, you got to get this, y'all. I need to get this. And if you've gotten it before, that's good. But we need to get it over and over and over again. We need to understand this spiritual reality that is our life, that is your life. Whether you get it or not, it's still real. So there's three things I'm going to do today quickly. First of all, three main points, and there's not a slide for it, but one is look at some of the biblical teaching on the reality of the supernatural world of gods and spirit beings around us. Number two, how the impact of your worldview affects your ability to see or not see what's going on around you. And number three, how having a proper biblical worldview prepares you to win in this battle. I'm going to ask it one more time. Who wants to win? I see that hand. I see that hand. I hope you want to win. Amen. So let's jump in. The first point today is, is this. The Bible teaches a great deal about other gods, with a small g, who are not gods. It uses that word over and over again. In fact, the Bible often uses the Hebrew term for God, Elohim, to refer to other gods. Let's look, and, and it's not on the board, but if you have your Bible or your app, uh, let's look again at Psalm 80, 82, and we'll look at some of the ways that Psalm 82 talks about the gods. That's the next slide. So the gods in Psalm 82, look at verse 1. And, and I'll, I'll, I'll intersperse Hebrew with English here. Elohim, when it says God there, it's Elohim presides in the great assembly or the Adat El. El is a shortened version of Elohim. So Elohim presides in the Adat El. He renders judgment among the Elohim. You see this strange juxtaposition over and over again, this same word, Elohim, God is used in different ways in this verse and throughout Psalm 82, and we'll see in a minute, throughout the scripture. We tend to think that Elohim, we know, is, is a way of saying God, but Elohim is used in a variety of ways right here in Psalm 82 and throughout the scripture. So it's the same term used over and over again. And it talks about 
supernatural beings who are involved in daily life in this world. Look at verses 2 through 4. He says, how long will you, speaking of the Elohim, not the supreme Elohim, but the other Elohim, the gods, how long will you defend the unjust and show partiality to the wicked, defend the weak and the fatherless, uphold the cause of the poor and the oppressed, rescue the weak and the needy, deliver them from the hand of the wicked. He's saying that these Elohim, these spirit beings, these powerful spirit beings are involved in what is going on in the world. And the plea of the psalmist is for the great God, the great Elohim, to rule over them in such a way that they will now not show partiality to the wicked and will take care of the needy. But these fallen beings were made for glory, but are now working against God and his people. We know that the scripture talks about this and and that uh, we believe that the, the devil himself is a fallen angel and that when he fell, that many others, some say one-third, the scripture talks about that, of, of the angels in heaven fell along with him and they fell from the grace of God and now they are at work in the world that you and I live in and they're not at work for you. They are against you and they are against me. They are seen as wicked and evil rulers. Now here's the good news, verse 8. These gods are ruled by the one true God. Look at verse 8. Rise up, O God, Elohim. Judge the earth, and all the nations are your inheritance. All these other supernatural beings, they owe, they will ultimately answer to the one true and living God. Martin Luther put it this way, even the devil is God's devil. He belongs to God. He cannot get away from that. And they are destined for destruction at the judgment. Look at verse 7. But you, he's speaking to these Elohim, will die like mere mortals. You will fall like every other ruler. Look at verse 6. He says, I said you are God. That again is the word Elohim. You are all sons of the Most High. That term is B'nai Elyon. You know that Elyon is the term in the Bible often ascribed to God that means the Most High. But he says you are sons of the Most High. These are these spirit beings that are around us, all around us. And so God is letting us know about the reality of this supernatural world that very often in Western Christianity has been so watered down that we miss it. We miss it. I want to look through some more scriptures on this. God, uh, throughout the Bible, look at Psalm 89. It's up on the board. The heavens praise your wonders, Lord, your faithfulness too, in the assembly of the holy ones. Verse 6, for who in the skies above can compare to the Lord? Who is like the Lord among, he says, the heavenly beings? There it is, the B'nai, El, the B'nai Elim. Elohim, a shortened version of Elohim. So the sons of God, who is like you among the sons of God or the heavenly beings in the council of the holy ones? God is greatly feared. Look at Psalm 86, verse 8. It says, among the gods there is none like you. Exodus 15, 11 says, who among the gods is like you? Who is like you, majestic in holiness? Exodus 20 says, you shall have no other 
gods before me. You know where that's from, right? That's from the Ten Commandments. I am the Lord thy God. Thou shalt have no other gods before me. Let's go on to the next slide. It's all throughout the pages of the book, if you hold a Bible in your hand. It's all throughout. Joshua 24, 14 says, Now fear the Lord and serve him with all faithfulness. Throw away the gods your ancestor worshipped beyond the Euphrates River and in Egypt and serve the Lord. First Chronicles 16.25, the scripture says, For great is the Lord and most worthy of praise. He is to be feared above all gods. Look at Jeremiah the prophet. Jeremiah 10 and verse 11. Tell them this. These gods who did not make the heavens and the earth will perish from the earth and from under the heavens. He says these Elohim that did not make the heavens and the earth The very beginning of your Bible and my Bible, in Hebrew, Genesis 1-1, says, and I'll say it in Hebrew first, Bereshit bara Elohim et hashamayim va'et ha'aretz. In the beginning, Elohim made the heavens and the earth. And yet Jeremiah is saying, these gods who did not make the heaven and the earth, these gods who are themselves created being by the Most High God, the Elohim of Elohims. In Psalm 136, that great psalm that says, the, the, the Lord's love endures forever. In verse 2 it says, give thanks to the God of gods, the Elohim of Elohims. And so this is the one true God, but we see throughout the scripture, this terminology used over and over again. As a matter of fact, and I counted it up, I went to a, an exhaustive concordance, which has every word in the Bible and every usage of every word. And I counted it up, y'all. Elohim is used 229 times in the Old Testament when it is not referring to the one true God. And there are other ways that are termed as well, but Elohim itself is used 229. And 29 times. It's used over and over again. It's throughout our Bibles. It's in our Old Testament and in our New Testament as well. The God of this world, the New Testament says, has blinded the minds of the unbelievers. Again, God with a small g, but a God nonetheless, according to the scripture, one who is a great, powerful, mighty spiritual being. So this is the this is the geography of the Bible, the spiritual geography that you and I live in is that it is a world saturated with spiritual beings everywhere. Now, I want to look for a moment at three different ways of viewing this. So this is my second point. A biblical worldview is the map to understand the battle of spiritual warfare. We've got to understand what in the world this looks like and understand a biblical worldview. So first of all, what do I mean by worldview? Thank you for asking that question. This is what I mean by worldview. Worldview refers to a general way by which we view the world. Specifically, it includes these things. Number one, who we are as persons. Who am I? Where do I come from? All that is in that first question. Secondly, who is God and what is our relationship to him? 
That's part of your worldview. Number three, how does the world actually work? Natural and supernatural realms. What is that really like? That's part of your worldview. And then fourth and finally, when we think of worldview, we have to think of destiny. Not, it's my destiny to go to Rita's Water Ice later today, but our destiny in terms of our final destiny. Where am I going? What is my life really about? If we, these things are all under the rubric of understanding uh, worldview. And so I want to look at two non-biblical worldviews, and then we'll look at a biblical worldview as well. The first, and this is from the work of a man named Paul Hebert. Paul Hebert was born as a missionary in India. He was an anthropologist and a missiologist. He served at Fuller Theological Seminary and at Trinity Evangelical Divinity School for many years. He was considered by many to be the greatest cultural anthropologist slash missiologist in the world. Now, I don't know how many cultural anthropologists, missiologists there are, but when you're the best in the world, that's good anyway, right? It's amazing stuff to read some of what he writes, but he, he takes this from his work in anthropology from cultures all over the world, but one type of worldview he refers to is the tribal worldview. And in this worldview, humans are in the center of uh, reality where you've got these powers all around them. You have the gods of the sky. You have astrological forces. You've got ancestors who are involved in what is going on in your life right now. You have witches. You may have the evil eye, magical powers, earthly spirits. You've got all of this going on. And there may be powers for good and there may be powers for evil, but often they're equated as being in this same war. And it's not that the good power is more powerful than the evil power. They're all at work and you've got to watch out for yourself. Now we encountered this over and over again when we go to Malawi, uh, in, in Africa, and we see how this is at work for many people. And one thing that has struck me very much is that they have a keen insight into the reality that spiritual forces are at work all the time. Things that we miss, that we just don't see at all, they are aware that spiritual forces are at work. And in that sense, their worldview is much clearer biblically than a Western worldview that we'll look at in a minute. But yet there's still a problem with this worldview. We see it over and over again. When someone dies, no matter what the reason is, especially if it's a young person, let's say that a five-year-old gets hit by a car, we're going to find out who is responsible for that. And I'm not talking about the driver. Did someone put a curse on the family? Did someone put a curse on this child. What has happened? Who is responsible? We've got to find out why that happened. And so the net effect of this tribal worldview, if you look at it, you would be living in a great deal of fear. Amen? Because you've got to fend for yourself and all these forces are at work and the good forces aren't necessarily more powerful than the evil ones so you are always on your guard. You understand spiritual reality in one sense, but in another sense, you miss the greatness of the one true and living God. Now let's look at a Western worldview. 
This is the worldview that we are born into in the United States of America, the, the modern worldview. And so Hebert looks at this bifurcation of the worldview. You have a supernatural component at the top, God, angels, demons, religion, faith is there, miracles, the sacred, but it is private. It's your private truth. It's what you can adhere to, and that's just fine, but just don't get it involved in this other piece. The, the material universe, that which is natural, humans, ants, uh, animals, plants, matter, things that we can taste, touch, and feel, things that we can understand. We can look at a microscope or a telescope, and we can figure these things out. This is the material universe. So that's not the realm of religion. That's the realm of science. It's experience. Other worldly, this worldly problems, it's the natural order. And so if we thought that this only impacted people that weren't Christians, we wouldn't have to teach on this. Hebert would not have had to write on this. But the reality is that as Western believers in Christ, we are more impacted by this than we know. To say that we're impacted by this type of worldview is, is the reality of, of, of asking a fish what it's like to be wet. Again, I've used this before, but I hope you haven't talked to a fish lately. But if you have, and if he's talked back, if you ask the fish what it's like to be wet, he wouldn't know what you're talking about. Because he just lives in water. That, that's where he lives. That's what he knows. And for us, we live in the water of a modern, scientific, materialistic worldview that doesn't have in mind the reality of the supernatural. And so you see as it moves forward uh, from right to left, you see this excluded middle zone where the things that we believe, the things that we believe about the supernatural never enter into the natural realm of things. Where there's this exclusion between the two. And so that impacts us in how we really pray. That impacts us on what we really believe. That impacts everything about our lives. And what does it leave us with? Because the supernatural, God and all that we believe from the scripture, is cut off through this worldview from the natural, from what really is going on in my life and in my family. Because there's a, a, a cutoff between those two things. We're relying on science. We're relying on uh, material things that we can put our hands on to be able to make the difference and make the change that we desire in the world. And it also impacts how we view eternity. This is the end of it. So we, we also are left hopeless because there's no one greater. And science at the end can do great things. Thank God we've got a bunch of doctors in this building and in this church. Thank God for medical science. Thank God for doctors. But at the end of the day, we're all going to die, y'all. I know that's not the best news on Father's Day, but it's the true news. We're all going to die. And it can't save us from that. Right? And so, ultimately, it also leaves us in this hopeless place. But let's look at the next piece, a biblical worldview. 
a biblical worldview. You'll see where this is different. First of all, the biblical worldview has God at the top. God is the creator. God rules over all. Amen and amen. And then under God, you have his creation and you see good and loyal creation in terms of supernatural beings. That would include angels and archangels, includes of in terms of rebellious and evil creatures. That would be Satan. It would be demonic forces. It would be principalities and powers or the small G gods that we saw throughout Psalm 82 and the Old Testament and the New Uh, And all of these are at work, and there is a battleground in the middle, and that is human beings, human systems, human social systems, individuals, what's going on inside of you. All these things are being impacted all the time by both the, the good creation and also the evil and corrupted creation. But the good news of a biblical worldview is that it is the one true and living God who rules over it all. Amen? And because God rules over all of this, I do not need to fear the enemy. But God gives me insight so that I can understand and know the enemy. I can know where he's coming from. I can know his schemes. We'll talk about more about this in the next few weeks, we can understand where he's coming from, how he comes, and God gives us the tools to fight spiritual warfare. But only as we first understand this worldview of God over all, spiritual forces all around us at work, and we're in the middle, but we trust in the living God. So the last point I want to make today is this. A biblical worldview prepares you and prepares me to win the war. There's three ways it prepares us to win. Number one, it enables us, it enables you to understand your identity. There's at least a few things I put down here about your identity from a biblical standpoint. Number one, your identity is that you are made in the image and the likeness of Almighty God. That's critical for us to know. We're not some accident of creation. We are not some accident of evolution, but we are made in the image and the likeness of the good God who has created all things. Number two, as a Christian, you are an adopted child of God. You were born once naturally, but you've been born again and adopted into God's family so that if, if you are thanking God today for your earthly father, that's a wonderful thing. But earthly fathers will sometimes let you down and they can't bring you through everything. But you have a good, good father, a heavenly father, a perfect father who will never let you down. Who will never let you down. You're an adopted child of the living God. You're heirs of God and co-heirs with Jesus Christ. You're heirs of God. I know I think about that with my own children. What am I going to leave my children? And, and y'all, it ain't going to be a big chunk of money. I just know that already. But I hope I leave them something. But the wonderful thing is, with God, we are heirs of God. And the Bible says joint heirs with Jesus Christ. In other words, if I'm a joint heir with Jesus, if this belongs to Jesus, it belongs to me too. Amen? 
Amen? Amen. If God has it, if it's for, if it's for Jesus, it's for me as a co-heir of the living God. That's my identity. So I don't have to scrap and scrape and hold on to everything I can hold on to here. I can let it go because I know I'm an heir of the Most High God. Amen. Then we're partakers of the divine nature. 1 Peter 1.4 uses that terminology. It's always blown me away. We are partakers of the divine nature. How is that? God has poured out His Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit, the third person of the Trinity, Trinitarian God, lives on the inside of me as a believer in Christ. I'm a partaker of the divine nature. And lastly, I am destined one day, the Bible says in 1 John 3, 1 and 2, I'm destined to be like God. John says, Beloved, we are now the children of God, but it has not yet appeared what we shall be. Because when he comes again, when he comes again, we will be like him. Why? Because we'll see him just as he is. We're partakers of the divine nature and we're destined to be like God. Number two, not only does it enable us to understand our, your identity, but number two, it enables you to understand your purpose. Why are you here? What is your purpose? If you understand a Christian worldview, you understand that part of your purpose is to overcome evil with good. In other words, I don't have to fight you with the same messy tools that you're using against me. I can overcome evil with good. And even if it doesn't seem to be working in the moment, even if it's not the most expedient way to get things done, if I could use intimidation or manipulation or something else, I'm not going to do that because I'm going to use God's goodness and do things God's way and honor God in it and love when I'm hated and reviled. And I'm going to do that because God has called me to overcome evil with good. Number two, to destroy the works of Satan. 1 John 3, 8 talks about that. It talks about overcoming sin. And he said, why do we do this? Because God came through his son to destroy the works of Satan. And so we're about that. We get to destroy something. Amen? I love the movie, uh, Remember the Titans. Anybody know that movie? And there is a, a big boy in that movie, Louis Lasik. He, he's, he's the big white guy who's got some soul. You remember Louis in that movie. And, and Louis is in school, and he's, he's not doing well in school. And he says, I'm not going to college. I can't do it. I'm no good. And he's being encouraged by the coach in the movie. But uh, Louis just knows he can't do it. He's not able to do what he's, uh, to, to go to college or anything like that. But what the coach tells him is, you know, give me your test scores. And, 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 and we'll tutor you. We'll, we're going to get you through this. He changes his view of himself. And at the end of the movie, he actually is going to college. Louis is. But he had to change the way he saw himself. Number three, we are ambassadors for Jesus Christ. I love that scripture in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verses 18 through 20. And we are ambassadors for Jesus Christ. Think about that. God would send you, he would send me to represent him. Really? And I know my 
mess. I know my sin. I know my struggle. And God says, you are my ambassador. Go tell others about me. Point others to me. That's my purpose in life. That's your purpose if you're a believer in Christ. And then we're destined to rule over creation with God. And the scripture tells us in 1 Corinthians 6, 3, even over the angels. Isn't that amazing that we will judge and rule with Christ as his, as his children, as his followers, will rule with him and reign with him in eternity. And the scripture tells us that we even rule over the angels. That's your purpose. It's no small thing. It's an amazing thing that God has done for us. And then lastly, when we understand who we are in Christ, this Christian worldview, when we understand it correctly, we get God's perspective on what's happening in the world. It enables you to understand God's works. Just a few things quickly. Number one, de demonic forces are attempting to destroy. John 10.10, 10, the enemy comes to kill to steal, and to destroy. So we should not be surprised at the mess of this world, at the mess in our communities, even at the mess sometimes in our own families, in our own souls, because we have an enemy. He's a strong enemy. He's way stronger than you or me, and he's coming to destroy. But these demonic strongholds exist through principalities and powers that are not properly resisted by believers. So We'll be looking more at Ephesians uh, chapter 6 as we go through this series. But these principalities, these powers, these world forces of darkness in heavenly places are at work. And they gain strongholds even in the lives of believers when they're not properly resisted. But God is at work. Matthew 28, right before Jesus gives the Great Commission, verse 18, he says it this way. Jesus holds all authority in heaven and on earth. Now. Now. Jesus is not just going to have authority when he comes back again. Jesus has authority now. That should be good news. It should also be news that makes you say, how is that? What, how does that work? Because this world seems like it's so out of whack. So many people seem so far off the rails. What is going on? How is it that God is at work now? Here's the beauty. You don't have to figure out God. You just have to believe him. That one day you'll see it all. He'll bring it together and you'll understand that even the stuff that I couldn't understand, even the stuff that troubled my soul, God brings it all together by the power of Jesus Christ. He is doing that. He will do that in a way that we won't be able to deny him in any way. And then lastly here, demonic powers and gods are subject to Jesus and cannot stand against him or those who call on his name. I love the scripture in 2 Corinthians chapter 10 where Paul says that we're pulling down strongholds. We're casting down imaginations and everything that puffs itself up against the name of God. He says the weapons of our warfare are not carnal. They're not of the flesh, but they're mighty through God for pulling down these strongholds. There are weapons that God has made available to us. And if we see and understand and know that we are in a spiritual conflict, then we will use the right...
spiritual warfare is the reality of your life and my life. Spiritual warfare isn't a sometimes thing. It's an all the time thing. We should not be surprised and say, well, I'm in a season of spiritual warfare. Here's the thing. When you don't think you are, you are. So you ought to know that you are. So I just have two questions as we get ready to close today. And that is this. Number one, ask yourself this. Do I really believe that my life is being impacted every day by a spiritual being? I had to put really in front of believe. Amen? Because it's easy to say, yes, I know it, I know it, I know it. But do I really believe it? And that's why I have the second question here. Am I living in a way that is consistent with believing this? Am I living in a way that's consistent with believing this? What does that mean? That means that if I can't turn off the television at some point and pray and seek the face of God, then I'm not living consistently. That means that if I don't, if I look at my life and I'm able to say to somebody else with a straight face, I want to read the Bible more, but I just don't have any time to read the Bible. That's not consistent with the belief that spiritual beings are all around you and God is at work and we need to know him to understand the ways of the enemy and the ways of God to walk in his ways. That's not consistent if I don't have time to read the word of God. If you think that, well, church, I'll come to something every once in a while. I'll, I'll put in my time at the church. But I don't really need close fellowship with other believers. That's inconsistent with the reality that we are in a fight for our lives with beings that are much more powerful than us. Brothers and sisters, God is calling us not just to spiritual warfare, but to win in spiritual warfare. Amen? My prayer is that this church will rise up, that believers will rise up, and that we will bring down the work of the enemy in our own lives and hearts. We'll bring down the work of the enemy that is at work in our families, in our community, in our church, in our small groups, wherever it is, and that we will see the power of the Lord Jesus Christ at work. And we'll be a people who won't stop calling on that name. We call on the name above every other name and we see the power of God at work in us and through us to the glory of his great name. Let me pray. We get ready to close. The musicians can come up and get ready to close. Father God, I thank you, Lord, that I know that I know that I know. That you rule over all things. I thank you, Lord God, that no one can stop your good hand. But Lord, we live in the middle of a messed up world. We see the mess in our own lives. We see the mess in our own families, if we're honest. We see the mess even in the church that we love, in the communities that we live in, the places where we work, the schools that we go to. We see mess everywhere. And we live in the tension of that. But God, I pray 
that you will raise up an army of people who will just be crazy enough to believe God works. And to believe that you are able to pull down every stronghold, cast down imaginations, and cause the name of Christ to be glorified in and through your church. Lord, have your way. Glorify your name. In all these things we pray in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, amen. Amen. Let's stand.